Hello, this is the Contractor Coffee Club podcast presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on the EGIA.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGI snapshot survey. And you know, Lucas, that's probably a nice segue into... This morning's snapshot survey, are your fleet vehicles branded with company graphics and wraps? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, every for those who aren't familiar, every month EGIA surveys its members on a topic that's kind of crucial to the contracting companies as a whole, best practices, kind of establish what's working for people in the industry, what's not working for people in the industry. Last month, uh, we asked people about vehicle fleet, um, vehicle fleet management, how they're managing, uh, whether they use a management company how much they're spending on wraps, if they wrap their vehicles, uh, et cetera. And yeah, this was, this was one that kind of jumped out to me because I know you and I have had a, a conversation about this a little bit before, but we asked people if, they are, if their fleet vehicles are branded with company graphics and wraps. Um, obviously, that's, that's kind of a, a widely known best practice, I would say. And that was reinforced by the numbers we got. Members said 95% said that their vehicle, uh, fleet vehicles are branded with company graphics or wraps and 5% are not. Like I said, you and I have talked about this before, Mark. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I guess first and foremost is the thing about wrapping a vehicle is it's so distinctive. It's so unique. It just stands out. And, uh, you know, from a thousand yards away, you notice the truck. And the first thing you say is, wow. And the second thing I've noticed is that in addition to, you know, illuminating the brand, whether that's the color of green or red or whatever it is, the brand matches everything else that they do. So if your color is green, you know, the, the theme of the wrap is green and then all the contact information. If you've got a mascot, the mascot's on there. But my, my thinking is this. I'm a sales and marketing guy. I mean, I, I, I'm a writer and a speaker, but I'm really a sales and marketing guy first and foremost. And my justification for and the encouragement for vehicle wraps is you only need one phone call. You only need close one deal to make it all worth it. And when you consider that it's a rolling billboard, Okay. And everywhere you go 24 seven, seven days a week is this, you know, if you have 15 trucks, that's 15 billboards. It's a fantastic way to generate new business, get people involved. And I would add one other thing. I work with a couple of companies that in addition to having, you know, 10 or 12 of their vehicles wrapped, they also have one vehicle that's uh, for a cause celebre like breast cancer. So they'll have a pink van or a purple van for that specific purpose. And contractors end up getting free press, uh, reporters doing bits on the news about about that cause. So it's a fantastic idea. And when I surveyed contractors, I said, well, how much do you typically pay for a wrap like that? They said, usually about $3,000, sometimes up to four, depending on how elaborate it is. And, you know, that's kind of a big gulp when you hear that number. But at the same time, again, you only need one call. You only need to close one deal to make it all worthwhile. When I think if you if you kind of think of that as, you know, as we just said, 95% of people are doing it. Um, it, it is kind of a moving billboard. So it's it's almost required, I guess. If you think of it less as a marketing cost, it is, but more it's something that you have to do when you buy a new vehicle, right? And if you're talking about a total vehicle cost, $3,000 even is not that large of a percentage of a, you know, a pretty expensive, if we're talking, you know, van, box truck, whatever it is. 
you know, anymore, what contractors are using giant step vans where they're basically little shops, right? Yeah. And so these things are already huge. And then when you put a wrap on it, it's a fantastic uh, bit of marketing. It's it's great advertising. This is why there people pay top dollar for you know billboards on the sides of buses, right? Because they're driving around all day, and you see so many eyeballs on it. It's the same reason people advertise on websites because again, high traffic. There are eyeballs there all day long, and so you know when you have depending on who it is, you know, your comfort advisor, your installation, whatever. All, basically, most of your people are driving around all day. Like it's why not? Right. And here's a little known uh, tidbit. If you do any kind of commercial work, and even if you don't, the, the least understood and appreciated advertising is putting your contact information on the top of your van, on the top of your truck. And the reason is, if you if you live in a large market and there's a lot of downtown, like Seattle has, you know, I don't know, thousands of 25-story buildings. If I'm looking outside and I look down and I see your service truck and your contact information is on the top of the truck. That's just one more place to put another ad. Yeah. It's such a simple idea and almost no one does it. Yeah, I mean I mean basically any any building taller than a story that's going to come in handy, right? Exactly. Yeah, well that's great. Yeah. Uh, so this is um this was the last snapshot survey summary report. So as I said, every month, EGIA is serving our members on kind of topics that are important for home services businesses, for contractors. Uh, so right now, at the end of the month, we compile that into a really kind of digestible summary report that features, you usually showcase five, six, seven questions, quotes from contractors, quotes from experts to kind of establish what's working, best practices and all that. So uh, this is available right now for all EGIA members. Just log into EGIA.org and check out the latest snapshot survey summary report. And I think what I like most about the survey is the conversation with EGIA members. You know, it's a dialogue. It's it's a discussion about best practices and ideas and information that's going to help you not only dramatically improve sales and marketing, but also improve your profitability as well. Yeah. And it's it's I work very closely with this. I'm a little biased, but it is uh, it's almost in real time. You know what I mean? This isn't this isn't let's you know sit down and publish a book that's going to come out 18 months from now. Um, you know, we're asking people questions. You're getting the you're getting the summary report turned around 30 days later. Right. You only need one great idea to change your business, and this is one of those great ideas. Yes, it is. And actually, Mark, as long as we're as long as we're talking about this, um, one final kind of housekeeping thing here. This will be coming out what May fifteenth, I guess. So it's a little late for your fifteenth webinar, but I believe you have a webinar on June nineteenth about marketing. Marketing mavens in the making. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I'm excited about that. What are we uh, What are we talking here? I know you. You obviously you are kind of a marketing guy. You got a long history working with companies. Who should attend, and what are they going to take from it? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like I ask a question in my seminars. How many of you are in sales and marketing? You know, and uh, three out of four people raise their hand. And I said, let's try that again. How many of you are uh, in sales and marketing? And then they they realize. And the, the one or two guys that don't raise their hand, I'll walk up to them and say, hey, let me ask you something. Are you married? The guy says, well, yeah. They said, well, that's one sale. Congratulations. <laughs> you close that deal. I said, it's no different. I said, there was hundreds of prospects maybe a dozen, uh, you know, hundreds of suspects, a dozen prospects and one client, right? And the sale didn't happen until you asked the obligating question, if I give you this ring, would you marry me? Right? So it's all sales and marketing. And so if you want some fantastic marketing ideas, then by all means, attend that webinar. Yeah, the easiest way to distill down what marketing is, I feel like it's one of those things you talk about uh, in this is that the the idea of marketing is remember me, right? Like that's, that's exactly the whole reason that marketing exists. That's what you're trying to do. That's my favorite phrase. You know, marketing is getting the phone to ring and it's keep strict accounts and stay in touch, but it's also remember me. So when it comes time to when you have an when you have an itch, I have a back scratcher. 
And then the phone rings and now it becomes sales. Yeah. So it's really about getting the phone to ring or getting a lead, you know, via email or text or however you're going to do it. Yeah. And that oh, was express. That yeah. was uh, it was 87 degrees here yesterday. So I feel like the phone is going to start ringing more and more often. Well, it was it was probably 82 here in Seattle. So I was sweating like a farm animal yesterday. So, yeah, the weather's here. Yeah, it was wild. So anyway, anybody who wants to, to check out that, that webinar, uh, egia.org slash events and just roll down. It's June 19th on the calendar, June 19th, 10 a.m. Um, and just register for that. And Mark, his webinars are always unforgettable. So, Well, and I'll just come back from uh, Mexico, so I'll have a really great attitude. <laughs> there we go. Because you usually are pretty, you're kind of a downer, Mark, and, you know, it, it upsets me. I know. A lot of people say that, that they wish that they I double my enthusiasm and get excited about what I do. But, yeah. you know, I'm working on it. Mystic and, you know, just kind of, yeah, Debbie Downer. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever accused me of being. <laughs> I, actually, I actually had a service manager tell me, I think I was a second year apprentice. And he said, we're moving you out of the refrigeration department into the air conditioning department. You'll be working by yourself doing installation. And I said, oh, OK, is this a demotion of some kind? He goes, no, absolutely not. But he said, the problem is you're large, loud and demanding. So he said, I just want a little peace and harmony in the refrigeration department. So I'm moving you over here for a little while. And at first I thought it was, you know, kind of an insult. And then he said, no, no, no. I, you know, I put my top guys in there. So don't worry about it. I said, OK. Yeah. So I've kind of always been that way. Uh, I don't know. Large, loud and demanding. Yeah. Large, loud and demanding. Yeah, yeah. So today, what should we talk about? Can I talk about your job, your career or a calling? Why not? All right. Fine. So a pastor was walking past a church that was having the foundation laid. There were three masons laying bricks. He asked the first man, what are you doing? The man stopped working, looked up with a frown and said, I'm laying bricks. Pastor walked a few steps and asked the second man the same question. He replied, I'm building a church with a Mona Lisa smile. Pastor walked a few more steps and asked the third mason the same question. He stopped working, smiled, wiped his brow and replied, I'm building a house of God. This old parable makes a simple but powerful distinction. The first man had a job. The second man had a career. But the third man had a calling. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a good job for 35 years, like an old friend of mine from school. When I asked him how he enjoys Boeing, he said, it pays the bills. There was no joy. It's what his father did. The second phase of this transformation implies a driven person who wants to get ahead. And that's certainly noble. But to advance to the third phase, a true calling, one must believe that your work has meaning and purpose. You must love the work the study, every aspect of the business, whether self-employed or working for someone else, the third category changes the way you look at work and life. I was writing an article one Sunday at my favorite coffee shop in Edmonds, Washington. A woman interrupted me and said, you're working on a Sunday? And I said, it's Sunday? See, I'm self-employed. When I call in sick, I know I'm lying. I love what I do. I was 32 years old before I uncovered my calling. Writing and speaking are a part and parcel to assisting people to maximize their potential. I seek to spark success in others and inspire them to achieve their goals, enjoy balance, peace of mind, and discover a life imagined to turn their passion into purpose. I love the writing of Emerson and Thoreau. They were friends. In fact, I think they were in-laws. I think Emerson married Thoreau's sister. And, you know, in the 1800s in New England, these two guys were just pioneers in thought. Thoreau wrote, many men go fishing all of their lives without knowing that it's not the fish they're after. What lies behind us, what lies ahead of us, are tiny matters compared to what lives within us. If a man does not keep with the pace of his companions, perhaps it's because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. If one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams, 
and endeavors to live the life which he's imagined he will meet with success in unexpected hours. Emerson wrote, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. To be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. He went on to say, shallow men believe in luck. Strong men believe in cause and effect. Once you make a decision, the universe conspires to make it happen. My oldest son, Collins, one of the top recruiters in Amazon, he recently got a promotion. Now he's a manager. He sends me inspirational videos every week, and I'm grateful for the relationship I have with my grown sons, all three of them, Colin, Evan, and Larod. In fact, I asked Colin about the, the culture of Amazon. I said, what's it really like there? And he said, well, Dad, it's where peak performing millennials go to feel bad about themselves. I laughed. It was great. So, so what were you put on earth to do? What do you have a passion for? How can you turn your passion into purpose to serve others and make a difference in the world? Every once in a while, somebody asks me, well, how can I make more money? And I said, you know, there's a simple formula for that. The demand for what you do, your ability to do it, and the difficulty of replacing you. So if you think about that, each one of those, the demand for what you do. Is there a demand for a great salesperson or a great marketing person or a great service manager or a great owner? The demand for what you do, your ability to do it. How good are you at your present job? Would you say you're world-class or a slug in a puke? You got to decide. I went to work years ago on four things I call cash, knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits. So if you go to work on your knowledge, I found that reading books is the fastest way to get insight and ideas into, into your head. I read a couple books a week I have for almost 30 years. And that freaks some people out. That seems like a lot, but I just made a commitment to, to reading. Because when I'm reading a book, I only need one good idea, just one. I'm reading a book right now about money, how to be a badass making money is essentially the name. And she's, she's kind of a, the female version of Gary Vee. You know, she's a lot of profanity and it's interesting, you know, but, but she's, she's done what everybody wants to do when it comes to making money. So the demand for what you do, your ability to do it, how's your attitude, how are your skills and, and your habits? So knowledge, attitude, skills, and habits. And the difficulty of replacing you when a ship goes down, the first thing the captain does is toss overboard everything that isn't necessary. And when a company is downsizing, that's exactly what happens. They get rid of, they get rid of the people who aren't absolutely necessary. So you can make a difference in the world. Will Smith, the actor, said, I don't know what my calling I I don't know what my calling is, but I want to be here for a bigger reason. I strive to be like the greatest people who have ever lived. I have enjoyed following his career. One of the ways to foster that mindset of this is a calling, not a career or a job, is to build your confidence. And one of the fastest ways I've found to do that is to capture your wins. Years ago, I was reading a book by a good friend of mine, fellow speaker, a guy named Bill Bartman. It's called The Billionaire Success Secrets. This guy had become a billionaire. And I, I shared the stage with him one day. And, I, and so I said, well, I want to get a copy of your book. I'm obviously not going to have a lot of time to spend with you because we were in the green room getting ready to speak. But he just handed me a copy of his book. And one of the chapters talks about something called the Notable Accomplishment List. And basically what I did, what he suggests in the book and what I did, one rainy Sunday, which is easy in Seattle, I sat, I sat down and I wrote a notable accomplishment list. Basically, I started first grade and went through my entire career. 
And I wrote down things that I accomplished, things that I was proud of, things like getting a 3.8 GPA, uh, making the basketball team in ninth grade, you know, just all the things that, that fed my soul. Plato said, thinking the talking of the soul with itself, after you invest the time to try all the things that we've covered so far, eventually you're going to come up with a win. You know, we've talked about attitude. We've talked about goals. So let me share a very personal one with you. After this particular event occurred, I was inspired to write uh, a story for my monthly newsletter. Writing the story inspired me to go a little further. You see, I wrote Freedom from Fat and released it this year. And I'm excited to tell you that I'm a publisher now, which is, and the book's doing well. So I'm really proud of that. So here's the story that prompted the book. Have you ever heard this phrase, the jig is up? I research its meaning, a ruse or trick that has been discovered. The game is over. A time of reckoning is here. A jig is a sporty or lively dance. For me, the jig was up in October of 2009. I was conducting a team building seminar in Boston with a contractor. I went back to the Marriott and went for a swim. I stepped on the scale for the first time in years, 301. What? That can't be. The scale must be broken. By the way, that's called a rational lie. Okay. (laughs) So I put my hand on the counter and eased up on the scale, like, you know, sneaking up on it gently. Somehow that would change the outcome. 302. What? That's crazy. Rational lie number two. I went to the front desk and asked for a tape measure. I put it around my waist. 46. Oh, that can't be. Right? No. Rational lie number three. I sucked in my gut and tried it again, 45 and a half. Something's wrong here, I said to myself. Rational lie number four. I then made a big mistake. I went back to my room, took off my shirt, and looked in the mirror. I could hardly believe my eyes. I was fat. When the police arrest you, they take two pictures, front, side. Well, at least that's what I'm told. I looked at the picture I'd just taken. I freaked out. Fat guy in a little coat. Think Tommy Boy, Chris Farley. At that moment, the jig was up. The dance was over. A day of reckoning was here. A rising from deep down inside me began to emerge. I'd not been this angry at myself since I was in the eighth grade and I was cut from the junior high basketball team. My reaction was the exact same. Five stages of grief. Shock, excuse me, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance action. I grabbed a 355 card and I wrote down, I feel free at 253. I'm proud of my 36-inch waist. I love to work out five times a week. And on the back of the card, I wrote down five reasons I wanted that goal. Number one, my children would be proud of me. Number two, I'd live longer. Three, I'd have a great seminar story. Four, I'd look and feel better about myself. And finally, number five, I would prove to myself I could do it. I made up five three by five cards and I put them as my new number one goal and I put them everywhere on the dashboard of my car, in my journal, on the mirror where I shave, in the book I was reading, even on the toilet tank, in my home office. I began to say that number one goal out loud 10 or 15 times a day with positive emotion. We become what we think about. It's the strangest secret in the world. It was my magnificent obsession, my mission. And for the next few months, a process emerged. I call the process DASH, D-A-S-H. Decide, ask, study, hone. 
So here's what happened. After I made the decision, I realized every great accomplishment in my life began with a decision. This I would do, come hell or high water. This was going to happen no matter what. I committed to the goal on paper, and I attached deadlines. How much by when? I set goals in six-month increments. Waste goals. That's W-A-I-S-T. 42 inches in three months, 38 and six, 36 inches in 12 months. Ask. I started asking middle-aged men and women what they did to lose the weight and keep it off. And here's what they said. I cut out bread. I started walking every day. I cut my portions in half. I cut out sugar. I stopped drinking soda and beer and switched to wine. I bought a belt that reflected my goal. I read every single book I could on the subject, like Fit or Fat by Covert Bailey. I began writing all these ideas down in my journal. I began to do what they did. What could I do? What am I willing to stick to doing? Study. I read every book I could find on the topic. I became a sponge for wellness information. I scoured the bookstores and Amazon.com, and here's a short list of the books I studied. Some of them I've read more than once. And the number one book on that list is Body for Life by Bill Phillips. I think I've read that six times. It literally gave me the blueprint I needed to, to lose the weight and keep it off. But I also read Younger Next Year by Chris Cowley, Fit or Fat by Covert Bailey, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne, The Game of Life by Florence Shin, Creating Health by Deepak Chopra, Food Rules by legendary Michael Pollan, The Healing Heart by Norm Cousins, and Healthy Aging by Andrew Wilde. Certain disciplines and strategies emerged that were contrary to what I'd been doing or not doing the last 10 years. You see, what had happened was I gained five pounds a year for 10 years. All of a sudden, my broad mind and narrow waist traded places. But these strategies and disciplines emerged. Skip breakfast and work out in the morning first thing. Wait an hour before you eat. It'll change your metabolism. That one flew in the face of what I knew. I used to say breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper. Now this guy's telling me I'm supposed to skip breakfast and work out? Well, it turns out that that hour after you're done working out with no breakfast, you burn nothing but fat. Three things to commit to six days a week. PQE. And this was the, this was the heart of what I'd learned. I try to take complex ideas and information and simplify them. PQE was just that. Portions, quality, exercise. You see, I cut my portions in half. So whatever I was given, either by my wife or at a restaurant, I just took half of it and put it in a doggy bag or a Tupperware dish. And then I enjoyed half a meal. Quality. Salad instead of fries. Grapes instead of chips. If I wanted a snack at night, carrots and grapes. And finally, E for exercise. Walk every day. So that's what I started doing. Pretty soon that got boring. So I would run the straightaways and walk the turns. Swim three times a week. I've always enjoyed swimming. That was easy to do. I started slowly and gradually increased distance, intensity, and duration. Finally, hone. Keep what works and toss what doesn't. And a new philosophy started to emerge. I went from living to eat to eating to live. You see, I was the guy who ate 40 pieces of pizza on a bet in college. 40. Lucas, do you have any idea what that much cheese does to your system? I'm, uh, this, is, this is the most shocking thing I've ever heard on this podcast, Mark. 40, 40 pieces of pizza. Uh, it was 1976. The point guard on my basketball team in college said he could eat more than me, so we had a contest, and I won. $5. $5. I was, I was so worth, sick. 
Oh, that filled up my gas tank. I was so excited. Yeah, so that's, let's say, 12, 12 pieces of pizza. So we're talking about a little over three pizzas. Yeah, it seems to. Yeah, it's probably closer to five, but yeah, 40 pieces. <laughs> so, so here's what happened. I changed my relationship with food. I began to look forward to going to the gym. I made new friends. I started to gather ideas about working out. And then I started lifting weights again. It had been 15 years. I even took a yoga class. Before I knew it, I was working out six days a week, 45 minutes a day. My adult children asked me to join them at the gym, and one day Colin said to me, Dad, you look great. No food tastes as good as skinny feels. Keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. The result? Two years later, I have a 36-inch waist, and I lost 50 pounds of fat. Now I have a new jig. You see, keeping your word to yourself is what it's all about. I promise. When you were a kid and you asked your parents if you could do something special, you would always follow up with the phrase, you promise? Take that same attitude and resolve with this new lifestyle. Focus on enjoying the journey. The best is yet to come. Age doesn't matter. The body's an amazing thing. It'll respond to the new challenge and change in ways it's hard to envision right now. It's never too late to start. Monitor your waist, not your weight. Drilling holes in my old belt's an amazing feeling. Buying a new belt because you have to is an even better feeling. And then finally, once you get to that place, teach what you learn to somebody else once you've achieved that, that waste and wellness goal. You can't keep it unless you give it away. So how about you? Is it time for a new jig? As, as we're half, almost halfway through 2018, is it time to add wellness goals to your old New Year's resolutions? A waste is a terrible thing to mind. My sincere wish for you is to enjoy freedom from fat. If this 60-year-old guy can do it, so can you. The best truly is yet to come, especially if you're fit and not fat. If you're interested in getting a copy of my book, just go on my website or type in Amazon and order your copy today. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to like write down five wins from your past. And the reason this is significant I, I met uh, Russell Wilson at the Bow store in Bellevue, and he and I were the only ones in the store, so I had a chance to talk to him for a little bit. And the guy that taught me how to set goals was a guy named Bob Moat. And Bob was an amazing, amazing coach. He'd won a state championship. I met him when I was 14 years old, and I attended a seminar, and he taught me a lot of the things I've been teaching for the last 30-some years. But Bob's youngest son, Trevor, is a consultant for the Seahawks, and he's been teaching Russell Wilson what I'm about to share with you now. See, the reason you want to capture your wins is you want one win that when you think about it, positive emotions emerge. When you go back and remember what it was like to accomplish that thing, whatever it was, you want to hold that positive emotion for a little bit. And then once you hold that emotion, then you fast forward to the next goal that you want to accomplish. The concept is called flip back, flick up. And I do that every single morning when I think about my goals, especially my number one goal, whatever I'm working on that's most important. I go back and remember a positive emotion from a past success, a past win, and then I fast forward to the next win. It's such a simple process. Jimmy Page, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin, said, I'm always looking for a creative spark, always. Without passion, a man is a mere latent force and po of possibility, like the flint which awaits the shock of iron before it can give forth its spark. So what are you looking forward to? It's a simple idea. It's a simple content, concept. And I think I'll end this, this particular session with a, with a story. 
I tell the story a lot in my seminars, and it seems to get an extraordinary response. I make a very bold statement. I said, my real clients are your children and grandchildren. So here's a gift from me to you for them. When Colin was eight and Evan was four, after I'd read to him and say our prayers, I started asking the two questions. The two questions are simple. What was the most fun you had today? And what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Now, the beauty and the simplicity of this process is that you can start when they're four or five years old. And you're teaching your children memory and imagination, memory and imagination. So what was the most fun you had? See, the mistake a lot of parents make is, what did you learn today, Joey? Joey's five. He doesn't care about learning. He cares about fun. That's his job. So when you ask a kid about his job, he'll tell you. What was the most fun you had? And at first, it's a little difficult because Joey's never been asked to think about something from the past, his memory. But like a muscle, it grows bigger with use. And after he tells you about this positive thing that he happened today, then you fast forward with a second question, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? So the first time I did this, the first 30 days or so, Colin really, really, he was eight. He really loved the process. And one night I forgot and he comes running downstairs and I thought the house was on fire. And he said, I said, son, what's wrong? He goes, you forgot to ask me the two questions. I said, I'm sorry, buddy. What was the most fun you had? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? Now, fast forward a year, Evan's five. It's Christmas evening. The presents have all been opened. And I sat down on the edge of his bed and I said, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? And he said, playing with the box the refrigerator came in. I said, excuse me? He said, you know, the refrigerator box, the refrigerator you gave mom? I said, yeah, the box. He said, I want to put my sleeping bag in there and spend the night. And I said, like a homeless guy? He said, whatever. So, so he said, you want to put your bag in there too? So there we were, a couple of homeless guys sleeping in a box. The refrigerator came in, in a van down by the river. <laughs> now, here's the crazy part. For everybody listening, you think you know your children, but you don't. And until and unless you ask these two questions, what was the most fun you had? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? You're not really going to know what's important to your children. Fast forward, Evan's 12. I added a third question. When do you feel the most loved? When do you feel the most appreciated? He said, when you ask me the two questions at night. So there it is, a simple process. Now, don't do this if you don't want to turn your kids into positive, powerful little goal setters who feel good about themselves. Lucas, that's all I got for today. Could I, could I ask you a follow-up question? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we, uh, you said we become what we think about. Um, yes. And ob obviously we talked about, you know, the difference between a calling, a career, a job. So then you're not saying somebody who doesn't know, you know, if, if what they're doing is, is what they truly love. You know, if they, if they are sort of ambiguous on that point, they don't necessarily need to quit their job and go find something else. The point no. be to find what it is you love to turn your current job into a I mean, some people surely, of course, you know, on average, some people are in the wrong job, whatever. But just because you don't see your job as you're calling today doesn't mean it couldn't be. It just means you need to you know, become what we think about. We need to think about find find what it is about the job that we love, find why we started doing it to begin with. Absolutely. So th there's two distinctions there, and I'm really glad you brought this up. One is fall in love with your job. 
In the same way you can fall in love with your wife you've been married to for 20 years by acting in loving ways, right? You can fall in love with your job in the same way. Make your job your calling, but that's a decision that you make, right? So it's showing up early, it's staying late, it's having a great attitude, it's going the extra mile, doing those things that most people don't take the time to do. The other piece is I was a technician for 10 years, but it turned out I was meant to sell. And since I was selling while I was a technician, I sold more than the guy they hired full-time by the end of my third year as a tech. <laughs> you know, I, I realized I was on the wrong seat on the bus. I love this industry. I've been in it since 1976, but I just had to keep finding, keep looking for and finding the seat I was supposed to be in. So I'm glad you brought, you brought that up and made that distinction because that's really important. So fall in love with your job and ask yourself, I love this company. Am I in the right seat on the bus or not? Yeah. And I think, I mean, it seems like you just, I also identify, identify what is good about, you know, as you just said, like you're, you are a salesperson, you know, you can identify positive things that you do in that, in that role. You know, you're bringing comfort to people, you're helping people out. Um, you have the expert knowledge to help somebody who doesn't necessarily know the industry get the thing that's going to make them happy in their home every day. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, and, and also you mentioned, you know, the difficulty of replacing you. It seems to me that someone who loves and lives their job is going to be much more irreplaceable than somebody who shows up for a paycheck. No question, because you're putting emotion into the equation. And, you know, if you do what you love, you never work another day in your life. So is it possible to love your wife and love your job? The answer is yes. If you decide to. Good. Yeah, I love what I do. You know, I I did it for free for a long time. And then somebody said, how much do you charge to speak? I said, I don't know. How much do you get paid? You get paid for this? Right. I started talking to kids in the late 80s, early 90s. And then, you know, somebody said, well, we'd like to pay. And I said, OK, great. How much is that? <laughs> how much is that going to be? I actually, you know, this woman said uh, to me, I can't pay a normal fee. And my thought first, I was fee. What's a fee? And then the, the second thing she said, we only have two hundred fifty dollars. So I covered up the phone. I said, honey. This woman wants to pay me 250 bucks to talk to some kids for an hour. My wife said, take it. So that was the beginning. So just keep searching, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, star, what you're looking for is within the company you're in. Yeah. And since we're talking about you speaking, I guess I'll just do a quick little mention of this here. Uh, I don't think we've done it in a while. That uh, Epic 2018, the EGIA conference is going to be September 27th and 28th in Las Vegas at the Cosmopolitan. Um, if you if you can get there on September 26, we'll be having a welcome reception included as well. There are free registrations available for some EGI members, premium members. Uh, and Mark, you, I believe, will be speaking at, at said event. Is that right? I can't wait. So, Lost wages, Nev. <laughs> exactly. So that the dulcet tones of Mark Madison's voice that you've been hearing only through a podcast all this time, you can finally see him in person. And dude, there'll be books to sign and there'll be stories to tell and exercises to engage. And we're going to have a ton of fun. Absolutely, You're going to come yes. away with dozens of ideas that are going to help you grow your business. The whole thing is, is predicated on, I mean, and you know, you know, the guys that are going to be there, obviously, you know, your Gary, Alex, Drew Cameron, all these guys, um, best, best in the industry. And the whole thing's predicated Absolutely. on, on delivering digestible insights that are, you know, that, that you don't have to let percolate for two years, it's stuff that you can take away and you can put in your business immediately. Um, some great keynote speakers as well. Connie Podesta, human behavior expert. She's, you know, great, great speaker. Aaron Ralston, um, the guy who had to cut off his own arm when he got stuck hiking in the desert. There was a movie about him, 128 hours starring James Franco. Yes. Yeah. So whole thing's me. Go to EGIA.org slash Epic 2018 EPIC. That's educating professionals in contracting. 
Um, and it's also epic, but uh, check out the intro video, all the, you know, kind of the layout of what's going to happen and, and, you know, register immediately. Everybody's, all contractors are welcome, but there are free, uh, free registrations available uh, depending on your uh, EGIA membership level. It will be epic. And I'm looking at an email I got from Bruce Matulich, who's the CEO of EGIA. And it's, at the bottom, it says America's fastest growing contractor development organization. And there it is. Yeah. There you go. And it's, it's, we're a nonprofit, so you can rest assured any dime that comes in, we're, we're redirecting back towards, you know, improving what you do and, you know, into the resources that we're offering. And Epic 2018 will be a great example of that. Well, it's, uh, it reminds me of that quote from The Untouchables of Sean Connery. And he says to Kevin Costner, he says, you want to get Capone? How far are you willing to go? He pulls out a knife, you pull out a gun. He puts one of yours in the hospital, you put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. How, how far are you willing to go? And, you know, EGI is willing to go as far as it takes to get Capone. So there you go. Yeah, let's do it. Do you know what you're going to talk about at the, uh, at the conference yet? Or is that a... Is nah, that a I'm just going to wing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll prepare in the elevator on the way down. You, you know, I, I say that half jokingly, but honestly, some of the best workshops I do, I walk up to the flip chart and say, okay, what do you guys want to talk about today? And I list three things on the flip chart, and then the 45 minutes to an hour goes by, and we answer all those questions. Everybody goes, wow, that was the best workshop I've ever been to. And I went, well, it's your fault. <laughs> you know, you, you brought up the topics. It is. They are the most uh, – your your breakouts are definitely the as, as kind of casual and organic, I feel like, because I've seen. And they always have – they're always as well attended as just about any there. So Organic. It sounds really healthy. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. That's, if there's one <laughs> thing I know about Las Vegas, it's that it's healthy. It's synonymous with health. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, what happens there stays there. So you know. I've heard something about that. Yeah. Except for the business insights, those you can take home with you. Exactly. Well, thanks, Lucas. This was sure. fun as usual. Yeah. That'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit EGA.org slash podcast to find this episode, an archive of previous episodes, the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play app, and a link to the latest EGIA snapshot survey. For more information about EGIA membership, which you absolutely need to join, visit www.egiai.org slash join. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. We'll see you next time. Yeah.